Happy Sabbath once again. I'm excited to be here this morning. Our family here, uh, the family of God, the church family, and the people I live with, and all my friends around the world, and it's Christmas time. We praise God for that, right? It's been, it's been quite a year, very unpredictable, and uh, I'm glad that we are getting close to the end. Amen. This morning, we have, I, I do have a message here for us this morning, and it's coming from the book of James chapter, chapter, chapter 4, verse 13 to 16, and that will pause as a warning. Uh, when I close, I will close with Jesus, so that you know that you have to, that is what you have to think about. That is more important. And I decided uh, to, to, to title my subject on God's calendar, as you can see the calendar there. What do you write on your calendar? I've seen some people have calendars uh, that are almost like they have their to-do list. It's, it's, it's almost like every day. And I want to talk about that. But let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Father, we're here. Uh, speak to us now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the psalmist uh, in the book of Psalms, chapter 107, verse 2, says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the fall. Have you been redeemed? Amen. Has the Lord redeemed you? Amen. Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. It's always amazing to me that people uh, can be this much angry. An Italian man stepped outside uh, to cool off after quarreling with his wife and ended up walking 450 kilometers, 280 miles. Italians have nicknamed him Forrest Gump on social media after the slow-witted hero of an, uh, a 1994 movie played by Tom Hanks, who runs thousands of miles across the United States. Police stopped this, uh, this Italian epic walk at 2 a.m. in a place called Fano on the Adriatic coast. A week after he left his hometown of Como, the man 48 was fined by police 400 euros, equivalent to 485 US dollars, for breaching the coronavirus curfew. The story was first reported by a newspaper, but quickly went viral in Italian media. Some comments on social media presented the man as a heroic and criticized the fine. Another praised him for walking off to cool his anger rather than resorting to violence. The man told police, I came here on foot. I didn't use any transport. 
He said, along the way, I met people who offered me food and drink. Why are you walking away from the house? Why are you trying to be destitute? And he told the police, I'm okay, just a bit tired. He said, having averaged 60 kilometers daily, police found him wandering aimlessly and cold at night on a coastal highway. After checking his ID, and their database, they found that his wife had reported him missing. So they contacted her, and she traveled to Fano to collect him. The Italian reports did not say how she reacted upon learning that he had been picked up, uh, he had picked up a fine. He wanted to get away from it all. Have you been there before when you want to get away from it all? What a terrible way to spend a year, just walking around, just wandering away from your wife. We are all prone to wonder. Sometimes you see people in stores just wandering as long they are away from home. They can take it. And they go back home with things they don't need. So with years unfolding like these years, the best years are yet to come for you and me. How exciting it is that when we can walk 12 months, 12 new months, well, the 99% of this year, this old year, is already gone. This year is almost past. So 12 months are now unfolding and rolling in front of us, which I want to talk to you about. I want to warn you too, before we get very far into this month, that are dangers lurking. One or two reminders. There are dangers of walking in the flesh instead of the spirit. And suffering the consequences, not walking by faith, but walking by sight, which fills our lives with worry. I know you're all looking good right now, like all is well. But underneath, I know we are worrying about something. Then there's a danger of planning every detail on your calendar. Right down to the nut whisker and forgetting the most important part of all, and that's praying for direction. As we walk into these 12 months that remain to be experienced, it's a new year. Remain to be experienced. And the danger of running ahead of God rather than waiting for him. To open doors and to make the path straight and to clear the obstacles instead of trying to move them out of the way by ourselves. You have to wait on God. And that constant battle everybody has with worry, the chances are good you, your worry list is longer than your prayer list. You are all worried about some big thing on the horizon, and it's a very real probability it will never happen. My worst worries and fears never realized through my life. And of course, the greatest of all worries is the worry regarding when our last day will come. 
When will I die? And what will be there? What will be the causes? Is it the pandemic? It could be an accident, or silently I'm out in my bed. That's a serious issue. Of course it is. We'll tell you a story about the appointment in Samara, written by Roger Hahn. Once many, many years ago, when the world was uh, a much different place, it was an old legend of a merchant in Baghdad who one day he sent his servant to the marketplace. Before very long, the servant came back quiet and trembling. He said to his master, down the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. And when she turned and looked at me, I looked right in the face of death. Death jostled me. She made a threatening gesture, and he said, Master, please lend me your horse. I must hasten to avoid her. And I will ride to Samara, and there death will not find me. Of course, the master lent him horse, and he galloped away. And that afternoon, the same master made his way into the market, ran into the same old woman, walked up to her and said, why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make that threatening gesture? Her response was that that, 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 wasn't not, that was not a threatening gesture. Death said it was only a start of a surprise. I was astonished to see him here in Baghdad. You see, I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. I'm here to tell you that we serve a God who has put our lives together. You see, I have an appointment. However, God already knows everything that we have to do. We serve a God who has put our lives together from start to finish. He is not finding new things along the way. You will never hear a shout coming from heaven or a gasp. And God says, I'm surprised. I didn't know that. It's already planned for us. Our times are in his hands, and some of you are learning that better than others. The book of James have a few timely reminders for us taking on the new year. That's why I'm talking to you today. And the reminders are based on three simple statements found in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 13. Let's read the Bible. Come. Oh, now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and we will spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Look closely, friends. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a while, for a little while and vanishes away. 
These are not my words, it's the Bible. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, and then we'll do this or that. Wonderful passage of scripture. Love it. It's a great reminder. Not just at the beginning of a new year, but how easy it is to play God. Especially when we get a little theology under our belt, it's easy to think we got God figured out. We got an older year, this, uh, we got an old year and that passed. We are now on the borders of a new year coming in. And if we are not careful, we will follow our own rules. Look at verse 13. First, we choose our time today or tomorrow. See, we are making plans. We have got our day timer or whatever form you use to help organize your life. So we choose our own time today or tomorrow. And then second, we select our location. We will go to such and such a city. Just like me, January, I'm going to be in Cincinnati, Ohio. Come July, I'm going to be in Phoenix, Arizona. Come October, hope to be, and you name that place somewhere in Europe on vacation. Maybe not, but let's go to Punta Cana, town in the Dominican Republic. That's what we do when we're planning. And all the calendar have all those little things. There's no space for God. It's all you. Look at the calendar. We choose the location, we select the place we are going to be. Number three, we limit our stay. It's all in the scripture. I said I'm reading from James chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. It's right there. Number three, we limit our stay. See what it says? We will spend a year there. So this guy's really got his life organized. And then we arrange our activities. What our activities? What are we going to do when we get there? We will engage in business. It's there on verse 13. We even predict a profit. We will make a profit. It's all there in verse 13. That's exactly what we do in unguarded moments. I do it when I'm not thinking straight and wisely. It's a sign of independence from God. Yet I should depend upon him. I set out a plan. I got the year in front of me. I love getting my book and going through January, February, and March. All the way through December. As if I'm going to live to see December. I don't know, I will. Got it all planned out? Now understand, I'm not here to stress you up, our church family. James is not criticizing good planning. He is not advocating being haphazard about being disorganized. You know, in, a, in my Sabbath class, every, after, every Sabbath afternoon we study. And sometimes I always say, let's meet at four. But then I realize sometimes it's not possible. We have to cancel. 
because we don't know what will happen in the next hour from now. We don't know. James is talking about organizing your life. What he's addressing is demonstrating mistaken confidence. Mistaken confidence. Stop that kind of presumptive living. In fact, look at the very next verse. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. Isn't that a remarkable thought? We planned out tomorrow, but we don't know what our life will be like tomorrow. I put together a few tomorrows. I want you to see where I'm going through all these stories I'm going to be telling you. Few tomorrows. It's Thursday. The date is April the 13th. The Secretary of War is Edwin Stanton. He's making plans in the White House for a celebration. Flowers have been ordered. Banners have been raised. The name Ulysses as Grant Victor is going to be spread all over. This terrible war between the states, finally, the bloodshed is ending. They are going to celebrate. And then in the words of Jay Winnick, then came the bullet that bore into his brain. 1865, April 14, Good Friday, the president is assassinated. You don't know what tomorrow holds, my friends. I say this with love because I am a victim of my plans. I always know where I'm going to go for vacation a year prior. I plan these things. The president is assassinated. The day before that, they didn't know a thing about that. Oh, they got the security all buttoned down. The president is okay, okay and safe. Thank God. The newspapers are finally getting beyond this ugly criticism of this buffoon of an ape-like president. They called him. Now he's dead. Travel with me ahead. 70 years later, it's a Sunday afternoon. A naval officer and his wife are, of all things, finishing the decorating of their little apartment. As they are enjoying a wonderful tour of duty at Pearl Harbor. December ship will slip in tomorrow morning, got our apartment ready. This is going to be great, wonderful night of romance together. And the place comes apart the next day. Tomorrow, December 7, 1941, Sunday morning, when all hell broke loose. Do you know about tomorrow? They never thought of that the day before. They didn't know what their life would be like tomorrow. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. Nor do I. Suddenly it makes sense, doesn't it? Well, James is writing way ahead of his time. Why? You are just a vapor. Shakespeare writes in Macbeth, he writes, 
If you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, speak then to me. If you think you know, then let me know. That's what Shakespeare says. Thanks God, thanks be to God for English literature. No wonder there's such a run on astrology. Did you know astrology? They ask you, when were you born? Then you say, I was born in May, so you are a Taurus. You are the bull, right? Yes, I am the bull. So many people, they run to go to the zodiac signs. Foolish game. Guide your life with the stars. They don't know either. Now, so what do we do, Elder? What do we do? Let me give you some things to write down. I have said one of them over and over again, so you hopefully have put that down. You have no knowledge of what tomorrow holds. We all don't know what tomorrow holds. Before the year started, we didn't know that by the end of this year, some of us will be unemployed. And the pandemic will bring a lot of restrictions in the travel. Apparently, this year I was going to Brazil. It didn't happen. It was on my schedule. And the way we interact one to another, at first I struggled to breathe through that mask. Now, if you double it up, I still breathe. So the question is, what changed? It's a mindset. Blue or white collar workers unemployed now. My friend's family member did not know this. Now, this is serious stuff. My, my friend's family member did not know she had faced serious surgery. When they cut her open, they just sewed her back. It's inoperable. No surgery. We cannot continue. A healthy-looking young girl. One of my uh, family, one of the families didn't know that they did lose the man of the house. You heard this story before, if you read well. 50-year-old pilot with Delta. Lay over in Amsterdam, he and his co-pilot friends, they are all friends, flown together for years, went to school together decided on their layover because you have to lay over to get your sleep back. So you feel okay to fly back across the pond. And while they are in Amsterdam, this pilot and the co-pilot, they say to each other, let's go bike riding. Boom! Hit by a bullet train. Gone. Could hardly find their remains. The family didn't know what they did be without a man of the house. This is not dramatic stuff, friends. We made a move out of. This is real stuff. I can give you names to every one of these people. You don't know about tomorrow. It goes on. There was a family that discovered that their 15-year-old, 15-year-old son is now on, on drugs at the top of his class, he's doing drugs. 
got a drug problem. He kept it a secret for years. Also been messing around with pornography. All that come to light. Now on the other side, my niece, that I thought would be single forever, have fallen in love. And they can't hardly wait to get married in summer next year. They didn't even know each other at the beginning of this year. On the other hand, my auntie opened the doors of my uncle's closet and lifted out a closet suit, a long wrapped plastic long closet suit bag. And that was only, that was for my, for my uncle. Three-piece suit, luxury, fine garments. The price tag with an astronomical figure, still on it, still attached. But he never wore it. He was serving it for a special occasion. Well, I guess this is the occasion. She took the lovely sleep and put it on the bed with the other clothes. She was taking to the mortician. Her hands lingered on the soft material for a moment. Then she slammed the doors shut. Stood there and said, don't ever serve anything for a special occasion. Every day you are alive is a special occasion. I remember those words through the funeral in the days that followed. When I helped her and my nephew attend to all the sad chores that followed an unexpected death. I thought about them on the plane returning home from Zimbabwe, where my family still lives. I thought about all the things he had seen or heard or done. thought about the things that he had done without realizing they were all special. I'm still thinking about her words to me that have changed my life. I'm not serving anything now. I wear all my clothes. Someday, and one of these days, things may change for me. Worse in my life, my goal is I want to see or hear and do and experience it now. I'm trying very hard not to put you off or to put off or hold back or serve anything that will add laughter and memories to my and our lives. And every morning when I open my eyes, I tell myself, this is a special day. And then I want you to think about the death of Jesus Christ. If we were flying, now we are beginning to take our journey to descend. In the 27th chapter of the book of Matthew, and when they came unto a place called Golgotha, the place of skull, Calvary, there they crucified him, Jesus. Forget about your death, forget about those worries, think about Jesus, because that's where you have eternal life. 
Jesus is more important in our life than all these stories I told you. And in the ninth chapter of the epistle to the Hebrews, almost all things are by the law paged with blood. And without, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. I'm trying to say that's why Jesus died, so that you may have a chance. He died to reconcile us back to the Father. We don't have to worry about death as long as our life is in, in, the, in the hands of Jesus. Let Jesus worry about that. You go ahead and live your life. The gospel of atonement of the washing away of our sins. That gospel is repudiated by the world. The world don't believe that. But we do believe that. To them, it is a butcher shop religion. It is gross superstition. It is an holdover from animistic days. The gospel of redemption to the world is superfluous, as they say, to brutally, rudely, and bluntly. This is what they say. If we have tricked us, they say, to remove mountains, we don't need faith. If we have penicillin, we don't need friends. If we have the state, we don't need the church. If we have manuals of science, we don't need the Bible. And if we have an Einstein or Addison, we don't need Jesus. Now, as you follow their thought and reasoning, you can easily see that they, they define and interpret life in terms of materialism or secularism. It is true that the Christian religion addresses itself to redemption, that it is the true faith and the true Christian message. Now, friend, this is where I want you to listen here. This is where your life needs to be centered around. Uh, try your best to understand why Jesus died for you. I know you've been going to church for a while, and I know that uh, you got this figured out. I may never be the last preacher you hear, or even first. However, listen to this. But the Christian faith is first and foremost, and above all else, a message of salvation. How can a man be changed? How can a man be born again? You can see this poignantly in the sign of the Christian church. So what is this sign to the Christian church? The sign of the church or of the gospel is not a burning bush. No, is it two tables of stone on which are written the commandments? No, is it a Shekinah farm? No, is it a seventh branch of lampstand? No, is it a hello above a submissive hand? No, is it a golden crown? But the sign of the Christian church and the Christian message is a cross. Oh, yes, I said it, a cross. A rugged old cross. And all of its naked hideousness as the Roman who have it in all of its philosophical irrationality as the Greek would have it, but in all of its power to serve as Paul would have it. 
Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Don't worry about your death. Think about these things. Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? How could such a pain be that God in the flesh should be crucified and executed like a criminal? The death of Jesus. What is it? Is it a dramatic play like Shakespeare, King Lear, or Macbeth, or Eugene O'Neill's strange interlude? What is this? Is it a historical tragedy like Socrates drinking the hamlock, or Julius Caesar murdered at the statute of Pompeii? Or like Abraham Lincoln assassinated in Fort Theater watching a performance? This is not drama, friends. What? is this that happened on Calvary. It is a failure and a defeat. Now there's another man by the name Albert Schweitzer. You can Google him. He was an Alsatian polymath, a theologian, an organist, a writer, humanitarian, philosopher, missionary, and physician. Was also a theologian, but a strange one to meet if you read about him. In the days of his young manhood, he wrote one of the great theological books of the generation entitled The Quest for the Historical Jesus. You can Google that. And the thesis of the book is this, that the Lord expected the descent of the kingdom of heaven. And when it didn't come, when it didn't descend, that, the, that he died in frustration and defeat and disillusionment and failure. Is that correct? What is this? Now I'm beginning to close. The death of the Son of God on the cross, the Bible answers, is first the judgment of God upon our sins. Jesus died for our sins. What is sin like? It grows and its terrible repercussions can be found most dramatically and most poignantly in the death of the Son of God on the cross. What sin is like and what sin does? Who crucified the Lord Jesus? Whose fault was it? Well, it's his own fault. He should have been a better manager. Maybe it was Judas' fault. He is the one that sold him, betrayed him. It was maybe uh, Pontius Pilate's fault. He was a weak and vacillating ruler, and he delivered him to crucifixion. No, it was the Jews' fault. They are the ones that accused him and delivered him. No, it was the Roman soldiers' fault. They are the ones that drove him to nails and pierce his side. I can hear the cry of Pontius Pilate to this day as he washed his hands in water. I am, I am innocent from the blood of this just man. See you to it. I can hear the cry of the Jew for 2,000 years of anti-Semitism. It is not our fault we didn't do it. I can hear the Roman soldiers respond, we are but men under authority. We didn't do it. It must have been all had a part. 
It must have been that our sins nailed him to the tree and our sins pressed upon his brow the crowns of thorns. Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. It is not only a portrayal of sin, but the cross of Christ also God's atoning grace and mercy that we might be forgiven. It is the answer to the cry of Job. Job said, I have sinned, what shall I do? It is the answer to the cry of Macbeth, will all great Neptune's ocean wash his blood clean from my hand? No, rather, this my hand will the multitudinous seas incarnate, making the green one red. It is the answer of the great Christian hymn, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fault I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. This is the Passover Lamb. This is the suffering servant of Isaiah. This is the blood of the covenant shed for the remission of sins. This is God's atoning mercy worked out through the ages. And this is the consummation towards with all time and history. It is finished. Jesus bowed his head and cried, saying, it is finished. And the blood that fell on the dust around the cross cried to the grass, it is finished. And the grass around the cross cried to the herbs, it is finished. And the herbs cries to the trees, it is finished. And the trees cries to the birds in the branches, it is finished. And the birds cry to the clouds, it is finished. And the clouds cry to the stars, it is finished. And the stars cries to the angels in heaven, it is finished. And the angels in glory went up and down in the streets of the new Jerusalem crying, it is finished. God's atoning grace worked down in history for the forgiveness of our sins. And that cross, that Golgotha, that Calvary is the, what is it? It is the sign of our hope and our salvation across with its arms outstretched. Wide as the world is wide, as far as the east goes east, and the west goes west. So the arms of God's love and mercy are outstretched, and it includes even you and me. Now, here's a good story, friends. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you and me. Though millions have come, there is still room for one more. There's room at the cross for me, and that cross is the sign of our eternal hope and our assurance in Jesus Christ. When we go home, I can go on and on and on. However, when you go home, just remember, 
just remember that your life is better in the hands of Jesus than yourself. To God be the glory. Let's go and enjoy. Every day is a special day. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, you've been so good to us. We thank you for uh, sparing us through this year where we have lost many. We thank you for being our God uh, with our families here represented. We thank you for guiding us through those plains and we did not get this infection from this deadly disease. We thank you for the schools and the little children in those classes. We thank you for your mighty hand upon everything we do. Father, we don't know what's awaiting for us ahead, ahead of us. It's a new year, but we will not trust in our own understanding. In all our ways, we will amen and you direct our path. So we thank you, O oh Lord. Be with us, Father, as we enjoy family and as also as we exercise precaution and care so that we don't spread this virus. We pray for wisdom for our leaders in the government, in schools, uh, and everywhere we go, Lord. May we see Jesus. May they see Jesus in our lives. Thank you to family and friends. Thank you for all you have done when Jesus died for us, sinners like us. Thank you for our pastor as he's home uh, in quarantine, not because he's sick, just simply because he traveled. We pray that you add a double blessing to him and his family. I pray for these elders that we, uh, it's been quite a year for us. And Lord, I, I, I pray for them, they, they, they've been wonderful brothers. We always watch each other's back. Bless them with their families and their children. We have little kids amongst us, oh Lord. Ah, oh, you know them. We dedicate them to you, your God, that nothing will befall them and they will be safe in your hands. Dismiss us now as we go home, but never away from your presence. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.